everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. God, so, so grateful um, to be back here. Um, really appreciate the opportunity from your leadership team to, to come and share the word with you guys. Um, I bring you greetings again from Nashville, Tennessee, from our Every Nation family there, and also from your, um, one of your cousin churches, uh, Bethel World Outreach Church <laughs> in, uh, in Nashville. And um, again, we're just so honored to, to be here and to hang out with you guys and just to see all the amazing things that God is continuing to do through this community and really what he's doing through all of our churches and community globally in every nation of the world. We're now up to about 80 nations of, of churches, yeah, being planted in, in our Every Nation Church movement. And again, you guys are a big part of that. Your prayers, your support, and even what you do here matters in terms of what happens in the nations of the world. So let me, um, let me pray for us really quickly, and then we're going to jump into the word, all right? So, Lord, we're just grateful for this day. God, we really do expect you to do something special in these moments that we have. Uh, Lord, your word says that where two or three people are gathered together in your name, that you're there. So, um, Jesus, we trust, we trust that you're here already, that you're already moving on hearts and minds. And, um, Lord, we pray that you would just sanctify us, set us apart in the truths today. And, God, that we will walk away from this moment transformed. And we love you. And we're grateful, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I want to share something with you guys that's kind of been stirring in my heart, and, um, and hopefully it um, impacts you in the same way that's been impacting me as I've been studying this. But um, if I had to give this a title, it's the passionate pursuit of one thing. The passionate pursuit of of one thing. And we're going to read a very familiar passage of scripture, but we're going to try to look at it from some slightly different angles, okay? So let me read this passage of scripture. It's probably on the screens. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And it says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is, by the accounts of all scholars, is imprisoned. 
probably in Rome, when he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi was a thriving uh, community of believers who were in deep support of Jesus' ministry through Paul, had sent him significant financial support, was just loving on him, encouraging him, praying for him. And he's sitting in this jail cell, probably shackled. There's a possibility he may have been on house arrest, but usually Paul finds himself in a dungeon. And he's writing this letter to these people who've been such a blessing, such a support, who are flourishing, but he does not want, him, want them to miss this one thing. As he sits in prison and considers these people who he's connected himself with, who he has enjoyed the fellowship and the mutual respect and honor of serving Jesus in ministry, with all the good things that are going on in their midst, there's one thing that he does not want them to overlook. And we're going to take a look at this one thing. And really, when we look at this passage of Scripture, there's three things that we can look at that are challenges that he addresses to passionately pursuing this one thing, and then one motivation. So three obstacles that are challenges to pursuing this one thing, and then one motivation. The first thing he addresses is this idea of gains and losses. And here's what he says here. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The insight from this passage as we consider this idea of gains and losses in pursuit of the passionate pursuit of this one thing is that the way we respond to gains and losses in our life ultimately reveals to us whether or not we are focused on this one thing. It reveals to us whether or not we're focused on this one thing. There used to be this show that I used to watch Maybe some of you kind of old heads with some of the, you know, TV series would know this. There's a show called Hoarders. There's a show Hoarders. Okay, now, the interesting thing about this show is the camera crew takes you into the life of a person who is living in the midst of what they would consider to be valuables, but ultimately is obscuring or deeply affecting their life in a negative way. So when you look at the TV show Hoarders, and if I was just trying to take all this, so they do all of this psychology and all the organizational therapists and people come in and do all this stuff. If I was to just distill what happens in the show Hoarders, it would be this. Hoarders are people 
who for fear of loss hold on to everything. Hoarders are people who for fear of loss hold on to everything. So there's a problem that's created with that. So first, the fear imprisons them, but then the stuff imprisons them. First, the fear imprisons them, but then the stuff imprisons them. And let's be honest, we're all kind of hoarders. Let's just be real. We hoard accomplishments. We hoard experiences. We hoard our insecurities and our fears. There are things that we constantly put our arms around and say, you can't touch this. Because this means something to me that you don't understand. There's a value to these experiences and these things and this stuff that you would have no clue how much this means to me. And so when the woman in her house gets a little anxious because there's that feather that's under the dust, that's under the book, that's under the egg carton, and they start to dig these things out, and she says, that feather was the feather that fell off of the bird the day my mama died, and when I saw that feather float to the ground, something happened in me. You cannot touch that. We look at something like that on a show and we say, that's insane. That's nuts. There's something wrong there. Yes, please get her some help and get all of that trash out. That's disgusting. That's what we do when we watch the show, but we don't want to do that in our lives. You don't want anybody to come and start disturbing your mess and digging up all of the stuff and the clutter and the junk, you got some feathers somewhere too. There's some feathers under the dust, under the book, under the egg carton of your life. There's some feathers under the dust and the books and the egg carton of my life. And when we rest in this posture of being hoarders, we actually resist the very work that the Spirit of God is trying to do in us to bring us into something new. And now Paul is looking at the stuff in his life. What we didn't read is just a few passages before this. He gives his religious pedigree. You know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I was born of the stock of Benjamin and all these things. According to the law, I'm blameless. I am the Jewish guy. If there was anybody who had a reason to boast, it would be me. But hey, guess what? I take all of that stuff that normally people would hoard, and he says, I counted rubbish. the things that are both good and the things that are bad. He says, I give all of that away because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, the passionate pursuit of one thing. 
one thing. An obstacle is gains and losses. And Paul, when he writes this letter to this flourishing church that has all these great things happening, he's trying to help them to remember, don't lose sight of the passionate pursuit of this one thing. Get, don't let the gains and losses become a distraction for you. Focus. So that's the first thing that he addresses. And the second thing he addresses is self-righteousness. Now, you'll notice a thread through all of this because these are all things that are interconnected. He addresses self-righteousness, and he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is very careful in how he handles his failures, accomplishments, and reputation. He counts them lost for the sake of the one thing, knowing that he is, def- not, he is not defined by any of the stuff but rather he's defined by this relationship that he has with Jesus and the faith that secures that relationship. Here's what happens when you keep hoarding. And this is the thing that we watch on the show that gets us really confused and we start kind of yelling at the TV. Get that stuff out of there. That woman's crazy. What's happening is that he or she has become so comfortable in the stuff that there's kind of this indignation. There's almost this self-righteousness, if you will. How dare you? Come and put your hands on my achievements. How dare you come into my space and disturb my stuff? Who do you think you are to come in here and mess with what I have so wonderfully organized? As the therapist steps over the rats. So you wonderfully organized the rat bones on the, next to the bag of trash in the, okay. But how dare you? And he addresses the self-righteousness by recognizing that when I get rid of the stuff and I deal with the stuff and I turn my back on the stuff as a loss in order to passionately pursue this one thing, what I'm saying is that these things don't define me. 
but rather my faith in Jesus and the one who I am pursuing defines me. Now, C.S. Lewis says something interesting in light of this whole idea of Paul saying, I, I'm, I am dying to this stuff so that I can continue on the course of faith toward the one thing. C.S. Lewis says this, and it's, it's so simple. Um, I, it's just, yeah, it's just simple. He basically says that the things that we're not willing to die to are the things that God has no opportunity to resurrect. God only resurrects dead things. So he invites us to die to that. So that the power of his resurrection can touch it. So that the new life, that is the life that we could not conjure for ourselves, could come and inhabit the dead thing. But if we don't die, where does the resurrection come from? Where does the power, where is the opportunity for God's power to be made manifest if we haven't died? So Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection. You know, here's one of the things when we think about self-righteousness and just this whole picture is like, let's be real. We live in a performance-based society. So here's how it works. You only deserve what you have earned. If you did not earn it, then you don't deserve it. But what we see in the kingdom of God is the exact opposite principle at work, which is we were giving some, given something that we could never have earned so that God in all things might get the glory and there's no opportunity for self-righteousness. So that everything that I do, everything that I touch, everything that I engage with is an opportunity for me to see God manifest his glory and for me to let go of my carnal self-righteousness. And so Paul is in this process of passionately pursuing the one thing, and he's writing to the church in Philippi and saying, guys, I know it's good. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for giving. 
Thank you for praying. It's so great to hear the testimonies. I love it. But as I sit here in this cell, I'm grieved for you. Why am I grieved for you? Because I don't want you to become complacent. I don't want you to become apathetic. I don't want, you, don't want you to rest on your laurels. I want you to passionately pursue the one thing. That was an amen and baby. I receive it. I receive that. Then he deals with the idea of complacency. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet. So once Paul acknowledges that his failures and accomplishments and reputation don't define him and that he's free to pursue this one thing with singular focus, there is no room for complacency because there's nothing that he has done, good or bad, that can satisfy him. Only Jesus can satisfy him. Only Jesus can define and affirm and chart the trajectory of his journey. There's no room for complacency. There's no room for hitting the snooze button on his spiritual life. There's no room for him to grow weary and apathetic and say, I had a good run, wrote a few letters, planted a few churches, saw a few dead people raised, you know, did a couple things here and there, you know, we gave it a go, I'm done. Good job. He's sitting in prison. In prison. He has a, he has, I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of ancient prisons. We're not talking about a cot. We're not talking about a TV. We're not talking about a mess hall. We're not talking about activities on the yard and libraries. We're talking about a cold, dark, dank dungeon with rotting shackles on his legs, with rats and rodents because the dungeon is exposed to the outside elements, water pouring in from rain and from sewage and everything else into this place. And in his soul, he still has the passionate pursuit of the one thing. It just, just doesn't make any sense. I read this and I'm like, what is going on here? And I, and I get so convicted because I'm saying, what, what's going on with me? What's happening here? What, is this a dream or what's going on? 
I get in my car, and I go to Starbucks, and I get my coffee, and I sip my coffee on the way to my small group, and we chat over a bagel. The man is in jail with shackles on. If I could just get this one thing. There's no, so there's no room for complacency where Paul is concerned. Because he's so sold out to this one thing that it is captured and compels him, even in prison, to reach out, to believe God. So we said that there were three obstacles, and there was one motivation. The three obstacles he addresses, and there's just one motivation. The one motivation was that this one thing that Paul was passionately pursuing was also the thing that was calling to him. Let's take a quick second and unpack that. The one thing that Paul was pursuing was also the one thing that was calling to him. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, That word actually in the original text is painful exertion. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling to him. And that is his motivation. But here's the thing. This is where it all gets jacked, okay? Because we live in this performance-based environment, we tend to think of things like ladders. I climb the corporate ladder. And as I ascend the corporate ladder, I'm taking steps to better myself. I'm doing what I can to excel I might step on a few necks on the way up, but it's just the cost of going up the ladder. If I step over you and smash your finger as I step up on the ladder, it's okay because I'm trying to get up the ladder. You got in my way. Sorry, bro. And there's something in us that drives us to be greater, to be better, but there's actually no one calling us to do it. It's all from us. It's all about me. What I can get, what I can gain, how much better I could be than the next person. 
Because, you know, one day I'm going to stand on the mountain and all them haters that were down there hating on me while I was trying to make my move. Just wait till I get to the top. I'm going to laugh at all of y'all from the mountain. But it's different when someone's calling. Because they're calling because your place is already secured. The motivation is it's not, it's not, it's not in you to try to find the thing to conjure your way up to the top. The God of all creation is at the top, and he's saying, yeah, 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 I prepared a place for you here. Come on, come, 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 come on, come on, come on, yep, 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 take that step, yep, I know it's the clutter, move the clutter out the way, don't worry about that fear, don't worry about that insecurity, I dealt with all that, yep, come on, come on, this is your spot right here next to me, right where you belong, come on, come on, come on, yep, 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 yep. And Paul is looking into the eyes of his Savior. And he hears this call and he said, I can't, I can't rest until I'm with the one who calls me. The passionate pursuit is not something that I conjure up in my own thinking, but the passionate pursuit is of the one who has called me and who says I have a place with him. And that's where Jesus comes and takes a chainsaw to our ladders. Takes a chainsaw to those ladders. What you're trying to build for yourself won't ever get you to where God wants you to go. The gains and losses will be a distraction. The self-righteousness will make you think that you deserve something that you would never deserve. And the complacency will keep you comfortable because you'll feel like, I'm good. Did a few things. So the question becomes, what's going on? with our motivation. What's going on in our soul that's preventing us from passionately pursuing this one thing? And the thing I love about this passage is, man, Paul had this incredible ministry career, churches planted, all these victories, stuff. I mean, we got a whole two-thirds of the New Testament from Paul about all these things. And still, he's saying, I haven't even attained it. He still has enough sense and humility to say, even with all the stuff that God has allowed me to do, y'all, I'm still pressing because he's still calling and I'm not done. I'm not done. I want to end with this story. There's a woman 
by the name of Helen Hallworth Lemuel. And she wrote a hymn in 1918. And it originally was entitled The Heavenly Vision. But it was later renamed Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And she was inspired by a tract that she read, which is just like a little leaflet that people used to pass around and to sow seeds of encouragement and cause people to reflect on where they were in their spiritual journey. She received this tract from a visiting missionary entitled Focused. And so Lemuel recalls in this kind of memoir moment, and she says, the leaflet that she received said, so then turn your eyes upon him, look full into his face, and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. And she went on to pen these words, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What are you hoarding? What, what clutter are you keeping? Could be good, could be bad. Jesus is invading that clutter today. Jesus is showing up at your doorstep with the heavenly crew. You gonna open the door? Are you gonna let him come in and start messing with stuff? You gonna let him take that feather under the dust, under the carton, under the book? place sometimes you say, really, me, that place doesn't make any sense. Not with all I've done, not what I did last night, not the way I spoke to that person, not the way I handled that situation. No, me, uh-uh. Nope, that place isn't for me. Jesus says, by faith, yes, it is. It's not about your good stuff. It's not about your bad stuff. It's not about the clutter. It's about what I did for you on the cross. It's done. Trust me and hear me call. Come on. the clutter. Come into the light. Come be with me. I want to pray for us and then we're going to have a practical step at the end of the service for you to walk more closely with Jesus. But really this is a time for you to do business with Jesus. This isn't about me. This is deeper than even City of Lights. This is about you and Jesus in this moment. 
pray, and I want you to think very deeply about what the Holy Spirit was saying to you over the course of this message to draw you out of that clutter. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. It never fails. It's always true. It's always dead on. And God, when we look into this word, we see ourselves in the mirror of truth. And God, honestly, we don't like what we see most of the time. There are patterns, there are cycles, there's stuff that we just do and keep up that we know is against the very thing that you're calling us into. But God, I pray that there would be a renewed sense of faith in this room. That regardless of the good and the bad, regardless of how high the clutter piles, that Jesus is still calling and we still have a place next to him. if we would be willing to turn our eyes to him, if we would be willing to respond in faith on a consistent basis, say, yeah, I know, I know this stuff, and it seems like all hell is breaking loose in my life. But I see you, and I hear you calling. And I'll pursue you. I'll come. Lord, I pray for the person here today who maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time. They're hearing that Jesus loves them for the first time, that there's no amount of clutter that they've kept that will ever keep Jesus away from pursuing them and doing what he did on the cross for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would be born into this new reality. God, I pray for those of us in this moment who've already made that profession of faith but have grown weary well-doing, become distracted by all the things around us. God, would you light a fire in our hearts again, a fire for community, a fire for your word, a fire for our commitments to people and to community and to serving, a fire to know you in every area of our lives, God. Burning us, Father. Do the work only you can do. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. You're good. There's nobody like you, God. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.